Oblate School of Theology is a Catholic graduate school that provides theological education for the Church's mission and ministry in the world. Inspired by the charism of the missionary Oblates of Mary Immaculate, Oblate School of Theology educates, forms, and renews men and women to preach the gospel to the most abandoned. OST prepares Catholic priests, deacons, seminarians, non-Catholic clergy, women religious, and lay ministers through the integration of pastoral experience and theological study. Visit ost.edu to learn more about program options. That's ost.edu. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with American Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we'll discuss the Vatican's response to President Trump's tweet about a letter he received from Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano, which sparked debate in the U.S. Church. Then we'll talk about new efforts out of the Vatican to care for the poor and gig economy workers affected by the coronavirus recession. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from sunny New York, Jerry. Good afternoon from sunny and humid Rome, Colleen. (laughs) It's beautiful here today. We've got like 60 degree weather. I've got the windows open. It's wonderful. Well, here we're uh, in uh, good spirits because yesterday we had the lowest number of deaths recorded in the country since the beginning of March, 44 deaths. And of course, there are lots of places open, but effectively nobody's in the shops. Uh, Some restaurants haven't opened because they haven't got enough clientele. Yeah, we're going to talk actually a little bit later in the show about uh, the impact that that this economic uh, fallout from the coronavirus pandemic has had on workers. Um, But first, let's get into our first story. So last week, Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano was back in the spotlight after President Donald Trump tweeted about an open letter that Vigano had written to him. This letter praised Trump for, quote, defending the right to life, and it expressed Vigano's belief in a number of conspiracy theories, including this idea of a, quote, deep state group influencing the American government, and he says, a parallel group within the Catholic Church that seeks to undermine the church. So if you're wondering who this person is and why Donald Trump is tweeting about him, you're not alone. Um, We have an explainer up on America's website that I'll link to in the show notes. But the main thing to know is that Archbishop Vigano was the Pope's ambassador to the United States until 2016 when he retired. But in 2018, Vigano published this explosive 11-page letter accusing a number of high-up church officials of knowing about sexual abuse by former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, and he was calling on the Pope to resign. Um, Since then, he's written a number of follow-up letters, uh, including this one to President Trump. So, Jerry, you and I don't talk often about Vigano's letters on this show. They come out every couple of months. Um, but I wanted to talk with you about this one because the president's endorsement brought Vigano to the attention of a lot of people who are maybe just now hearing about him and just now wondering what this is all about. Um, so the first thing I want to ask is, you know, in terms of the Vatican, the Vatican doesn't really respond to Vigano either. Uh, they've they've given him the silent treatment effectively for for a few years since this first letter. Why is that? Well, he was a big player in the Vatican at one stage. He burned his boats here. So he was sent to the United States as uh, to get him out of the Vatican. He was sent as a nuncio. And uh, since he's retired, he had, everybody here will tell you, that he had ambitions and he had expected to be made head of a Vatican office, perhaps the governorate, of Vatican City State, 
uh, he had expected to get the red hat. In other words, we made a cardinal. And when this didn't happen, and when Pope Francis accepted his resignation as nuncio, and it was clear that his career as such in terms of getting to other positions in the church was over, he then blasted the Pope with a letter when the Pope was in Ireland making the visit to Ireland in August 2018. I think many of the, your, our listeners will remember this. The Pope then said, when asked on the plane coming back from Ireland, uh, what do you have to say to the charges Vigno is making against you, the allegations? And he said, uh, I'm saying nothing. You, you're professionals. You study, read for yourself, and you draw your own conclusions. Right. You said this to the journalists. You said, you know, you have sufficient sufficient journalistic ability to dig into these charges and figure out whether or not they're true. And that's kind of the last we've heard from the Vatican on this. It's not the last we've heard. There's been one significant uh, response from the Vatican, and it came from Cardinal Ouellette, the Canadian cardinal who is prefect of the Congregation for Bishops. It came in October 2018, and I wrote an article for America on it, you remember. It came because uh, Archbishop Vigano called into question Cardinal Ouellette and said, you're in charge of the Vatican Office for Bishops. You have there the information that would confirm what I'm saying. And Ouellette responded very strongly to him, and he said to him, what you're saying really cannot come from the Holy Spirit. And then he said to him, he understood the, quote, bitterness and disappointments, unquote, that have marked your path in the service of the Holy See, he said. And then he came to this conclusion, he said, addressing Vigano directly, you cannot conclude your priestly life in open and scandalous rebellion that inflicts a very serious wound on the church, which you pretend to serve better by aggravating division and distress in the people of God. Very strong language. And then he said to him, I, I want to help you to find again communion with the successor of Peter, with Pope Francis, who is the visible guarantor of the communion of the Catholic Church. That is the only real official response that has come from the Vatican to Vigano in these two years. Right. Now, we also have, um, you know, the Vatican has been investigating the McCarrick case, um, trying to figure out, you know, who knew what when uh, at different points. And that's been ongoing for a couple of years now. Um, we've been talking, it feels like for a while now, about when we might expect it to come out. But you and I have talked before about how in terms of responding to the Vigano charges, they really want, they, they're not interested in engaging in a conversation with him. They really want for this McCarrick case, uh, McCarrick report to be watertight and for that to you know respond to some of the allegations he made and that's a that's that's the end of their conversation is that still the strategy yes they they will publish the response on McCarrick possibly in, in during the summer there isn't a definite date yet fixed but i understand the report has been completed the basic thing here is everybody noticed that the president of the united states said he was honored by the letter from Vigano. Here Vigano is seen as a bishop who is in rebellion, who is attacked the Pope, 
called for the Pope's resignation and whom Cardinal Ouellette has said is sowing division in the church. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you about that. You know, so we talk a lot about like it's it seems visible when you read the Catholic media here um, that that there is this kind of division in the U.S. church uh, being, you know, continued and and maybe deepened by uh, Vigano. And I wonder about like one does he have supporters in the Vatican? Is this a division that extends to the Vatican? And then also, you know, is there concern in the Vatican about about this division that's that's uh, happening in the U.S. church? First of all, uh, if he has supporters in the Vatican, and he may have a small few that have come out publicly, but the vast majority, and I've spoken to a lot of people in the Vatican in these past two years, uh, really feel that he is a man who if he had got his red hat, would not be talking in this way. Right. You quoted a, a, a few sources saying that in your 2018 article that I'll link to in the show notes. Yes. And and secondly, I've spoken to two really high officials in these past two days, and I've asked about them and whether they would say something in terms of his, the fact that he's written to the president of the United States, and obviously in his private capacity, he's not doing this as... Um, member of the Vatican, it's or anything of this nature. And uh, one said to me, I, I don't give him any importance. And another said to me, I really respectfully decline to even comment on what he's saying. Both quite very clear dismissals. He would have got no even mention in the Italian press, I think, except in the blogs which traditionally follow him and which helped, at least one of them helped write his original 11-page letter against the Pope. Otherwise, he, he's nobody in, in terms of the church in Italy right today, except a small group of people. He exercises no influence. He's seen clearly as someone who opposes the Pope. Yes, he gets a lot of visibility in the United States from a certain sector of the Catholic media in the country. This is a sector which has uh, consistently also been challenging the leadership of the Pope and the direction the Pope is taking in the Church. I mean, Christopher Lamb has, in his book, The Outsider, which was published recently, he has, at the end of that book, got a dateline where he lists almost month by month the various attacks against the Pope, the, the attempts to undermine the Pope's moral authority, etc., in reality, the moral authority of the Pope has grown enormously in this crisis, and people have seen the importance of having a spiritual leader, not one who is into sowing division in the, in the church and in the human family, but one who is seeking to unite the human family. Yeah, you know, the more that I think about it, even though the Vatican isn't issuing so many statements about this, um, we do see them pushing forward, and we see Pope Francis especially pushing forward with um, these things like the Amazon Synod, uh, anything that that is kind of increasing cooperation and concern for the poor and the very fact that they're continuing to push forward with those types of things, um, which is also something that we're about to talk about in our next story, uh, you know, maybe is its own response to the people who want to sow division in the church by saying, hey, no, we are, we're a church for everyone and we want, you know, we want to continue in this this mission of caring for the poor and prioritizing that rather than prioritizing like the culture wars. 
We have two new articles on the Trump Vigano story from the past week. That's up at americamagazine.org. And if you want to read more, I'm going to link to Jerry's 2018 analysis about the first Vigano letter, along with his 2018 article about Cardinal Ouellette's response to that. Uh, And you can find those links in our show notes. Presentiamo il messaggio del Santo Padre per la quarta giornata mondiale dei poveri che sarà celebrata quest'anno il 15 novembre. For our second story this week, the coronavirus lockdown has led to a global economic recession that carries the risk of leaving the poor worse off than they were before, even as the economy recovers. Um, as we've talked about on this show, the Vatican has been funneling some of its own limited resources towards humanitarian work, diplomacy, and other initiatives to ensure that the poor and the underprivileged are taken care of as the world moves forward. On Saturday, Pope Francis released his message for this year's World Day of the Poor, which will be celebrated in November. And in that message, he spoke in really strong words about how the command to care for the poor, quote, challenges the attitude of those who prefer to keep their hands in their pockets and to remain unmoved by situations of poverty in which they are often complicit. And he draws a contrast between those people and the people who have stretched out their hands to help during this time, like the medical and essential workers, those helping with mutual aid, and so on. Jerry has a write-up of that message, so we won't spend too much time talking about it today, but I will link to it in the show notes. It's a powerful message, and I recommend reading it. Um, we also saw Pope Francis contributing to aid efforts this week by putting together a new fund for gig economy workers in Rome. Uh, these are people who so far have been excluded from receiving assistance from the government during the pandemic. Um, and this new fund opened with an initial contribution of 1 million euros, which will be distributed by Caritas, which is the Catholic humanitarian organization. Um, so, Jerry, I, I want to ask you about this workers fund, because you told me that you see a, a purpose behind this uh, with Pope Francis trying to set an example for other bishops. So so tell me more about that. Well, Pope Francis uh, tends to lead by example. Uh, he's, he's often quoted uh, St. Francis of Assisi, who said, you preach the gospel by deed, by doing things, and if necessary, you use words. Mm-hmm. In this is a prime example of what Francis is trying to do. He sees that in Rome, He sees right near the Vatican, there are so many shops closed. He sees the street vendors who would sell rosaries or statues or even pictures of the popes and such like to pilgrims. They're no longer there in the Via della Conciliazione, that street leading right up to St. Peter's. He sees these people who live from day to day Mm -hmm. are no longer in business. And he's deeply concerned that this pandemic is knocking out and hitting hardest at those who have no protection from the state or private companies or whatever, and who are struggling to put food on the table for their families. So he set up this fund to restore dignity to those who have lost their jobs as a result of the coronavirus, because he's aware there have been instances already in the country, in Italy, of people who've committed suicide because they see no way out. He's, he's aware of people being mm. really desperate. Uh, and he wants not to provide just welfare. He wants them to get some assistance to help them to tide them over the present moment until they get can get back on their feet. That's the purpose of the fund. 
Right. Now, he did this by by teaming up with some government officials, right? And that's that's also a part of the example that he's trying to set for other bishops. Yes, it's it's they've created what they called an alliance for Rome, and it involves the church. It involves the mayor of the city and the city government, and it involves also the government of the region of Lazio. In Rome is a big city in, in the region. There are more than 20 regions in Italy. They all agreed that they would work together for an alliance for Rome. So the Pope contributed 1 million euro from the Vatican funds, from his own funds that he'd been given for charity. The governor of Lazio said, I've put in 20 million to help the families and the children. And the mayor of Rome said, we're doing so many different initiatives. And together, the idea is to assist those people who have no other kind of assistance, not getting it from the state, not getting it from private, but who are really in a desperate situation. And it's to help them, as I said earlier, to get back on their feet and get back, you know, manning that little stall on the way to St. Peter's or doing some kind of little job that will bring in money. Pope Francis is doing this for his diocese, the diocese of Rome. His hope is that elsewhere, other bishops will cotton on to the same idea and do likewise. So if you get Cardinal Dolan in New York, for example, with the mayor of New York and with the governor, all coming together to set up an alliance to help the people in the city of New York to those in the most desperate situations. You could transform situations throughout the world. Right. It seems like it's really, uh, he sees an opportunity for the church to be, as it should be, a moral leader, uh, but also, you know, a moral leader in 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 pushing the government to do more for, for folks who maybe have been outside of government care thus far. Remember when Christianity started, it was called the way. It wasn't called the idea. It was called the way because it was a way of life. And Pope Francis has constantly returned to this message that Christianity is a way. We live the gospel by doing it and then by explaining it when necessary. Uh, before we go, we also have a couple of updates this week on Vatican finance, which we've been talking about a lot lately. Uh, the first one is an update on the London finance scandal. Um, the Italian broker who was being held in a cell in the Vatican, Gianluigi Torzi, who we spoke about last week, uh, has been freed after providing a personal statement and some documents to the Vatican. Jerry, I'm wondering, do we have any developments in that case following his testimony? Do we know how it went? Well, we know he was 10 days in prison. In those 10 days, he spoke with the uh, investigators. He gave quite a long uh, personal statement explaining the whole situation. And then he, he, the Vatican said he gave lots and lots of documents. Mm -hmm. So it really contributed to uh, understanding and perhaps closing the investigation in terms of gathering information. Mm -hmm. Now, what we're now expecting is for the prosecutors to bring charges uh, maybe ask some other people who haven't yet come into the firing line of the interrogation. Mm. But we're expecting that perhaps by the middle of July that the, the charges will have been brought, perhaps even the trial will have been held. 
Um, there was also a new high-level appointment in Vatican Finance this week. Pope Francis appointed Dr. Fabio Gasparini as Secretary of the Administration of the Patrimony of the Apostolic See. That's kind of a mouthful of a name. But Jerry, in brief, who who is this man and what will his job be? First of all, he's the first layman to have the number two job in what they call here the uh, managing the properties and the patrimony of, of the church. In other words, the offices, all this. And also he will be in charge of managing the Roman Curia, the finances, the contracts. You, you remember some weeks back we spoke about the new code of contracts? So that will be his job. He has a degree in finance, in uh, economics. He worked with Ernest and Young. Uh, he has been in his, I think, one of the heads of the Italian auditors. He, he's got heavy credentials, but he's the first layperson. But he's not the only one that the Pope has appointed. The Pope has appointed two, two women also. One into the board of the Vatican Financial Information Authority, which is the overseer body to monitor money laundering or, or any malpractice within the Vatican. And he's appointed another woman uh, as head of an, the one of the offices in the Vatican uh, Library. So he, he's he's done appointed three lay people this week in the past week, and uh, this doesn't get much visibility because they're not the top positions, but they're significant. Pope Francis has said that he wants lay people to have more role in the in the leadership of the church and. He's putting his money where his mouth is. All right. Well, Jerry, thanks for taking the time to talk with me through these stories this week. Always appreciate it. Thank you, Colleen. So uh, I will see you next time. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Sebastian Gomes. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I. You can also email us your questions at insidethevatican at americamedia.org. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time.